Let's just do this. Even that little song where I kept missing the entrance, but Karen knew it, right? I saw a shirt this week that said um, something along the lines of, everything just goes better if I just listen to what my wife tells me. <laughs> that was one of those moments right there. She was giving me the clue. But uh, just really nothing from the time I got up this morning has gone the way that I thought it was going to go, including missing my alarm. I think I must have just turned off my alarm because then when I did wake up, I was like, look at what time it is. I'm supposed to already be like on my way. And so I hope that this passage turns out the way that not I thought it was going to turn out, but the way that God thought it was going to turn out. And I want it to be encouraging to you. I think that's what he's put in my heart, and I think that that's what he'll put in your heart this morning as well. So if you want to go with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, it start outs with some, starts out verse 7 with some really encouraging words. The end of all things is at hand. <laughs> that's encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> now, let me give you some hope here. This is one of those places where you really do have to put the passage into context. Um, this could be taught poorly as an admonition. Uh, Peter has written this letter to some other believers to encourage them, give them some instruction. And this could be taught poorly, this first part of this verse that, you know, the end is near, prepare. And it kind of means that, but it's, that's not in context. What has happened is Peter has just described to them what they already understand, but you know, sometimes that's what we do uh, in our lives and, and in teaching and in preaching, but even in other areas of our lives, is we speak to one another about things that we already know because it can be encouraging. Because sometimes we, in our frail human state, need to be reminded of good things that have happened or of how things have worked out before, or how our hard work has paid off when we've done it before in those times when we're tough. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, I think you're probably uh, like me in this way, I think we share this in common, but sometimes I just lose sight. In my circumstance, I'm like, man, this stinks. This is, this is terrible. This is never going to be right. And sometimes I just need someone like my son, my wife, a friend, to come along to me and say, hey, you know, you remember, we went through this one time, and, and look at how God worked in all of that to the end and made himself known. And I just need to be reminded, and I'll, I'll bet you do too. And so Peter here is actually, he's been reminding the believers about the work of Christ, the salvation that God has offered them through their faith in Christ, and that they've received that, they've seen the benefit of that, and they need to be reminded of the truth of that, even though they're in some hard times right now and sometimes struggling with the way their mind deals with things versus what reality actually is. And so when he says here, the end of all things is near or is at hand, he's actually kind of putting a, uh, an exclamation point on everything that he just said, which is all of the things that God intends to do to save you, to rescue you, to provide his salvation for you as he promised that he would do. He said, it's all right here. It's been accomplished. And because of that, there are some things that we should respond to that with, not because 
uh, we're being whacked with a stick and saying, you better do this. This is, if, if you're saved, you better behave like this. But it's kind of that thing of, I get to. Like, like now, I get to live a life of joy. I get the opportunity. I have the privilege to live a life of joy because I understand the great work that God has done for me in saving me. I used to, I used to have to live in despair. I used to have to be a slave to sin, but now... Now I have the opportunity instead to be a slave to righteousness and to goodness. I get to choose to do good things and to think good things and to be good in my life because I'm no longer a slave to the master of sin, but I'm a bond servant to the master of life. And so I want to give you a few things. I think there's four things in here that, that we can focus on in our lives as believers as a response to this incredible gift that God has given us in salvation that would not only enrich our lives but the lives of people around us and this is kind of a fun thing about doing the things of God you know we look Jason uh, taught last week about how uh, you know we think on whatever is good whatever is lovely whatever is profitable it's really amazing that uh, as we do those kinds of things and as we focus on maybe these four things that come out of this passage today, we're doing them for other people, but we also derive great benefit. All right, so if you've experienced that in your life, you know, you've gone on a mission trip or you've done something good for someone else because the Lord led you to do that or, or you've, you've been faithful to a work and you were doing this in order to bless someone else, but you received great blessing out of it as well. Let me see your hand. Anybody have that experience? Right? So you look around the room like it's, it's almost everybody. We hear it all the time uh, when we have, like, when we do youth camp and we have a team that comes up and they're coming to pour their lives into these kids for a week, right? At the end of the week, they're like, man, I got so much out of that. That was incredible for me. I have a sneeze that's trying to sneak up right now. I don't want to do that. Um, we see it when people go on foreign mission trips. Uh, we've had teams that have gone out from this church where they go to a foreign country and work with people who are you know, hugely disadvantaged socio socio socioeconomically and, and places where the gospel has not been preached. And they go there meaning to do something great for those people. And they come back saying, wow. Uh, I, I, think, I think maybe somehow I, I received more out of that than I was able to give. And see, that's the economy of the kingdom of God. There's, there's that old saying of you can't outgive God, right? Now, that's used a lot of times in, in financial terms and, and good for that. Uh, you know, a lot of churches use that, that little, little browbeating thing of, you know, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And I'm like, dude, throw, throw me some ribeyes because I like beef. But, um, but it's often used in a way to sort of shame and guilt people into doing more for the church or for an organization or for a cause or for a purpose. And that's really not, that's not how any of the scripture is intended to be applied to us. That we shouldn't be using it to beat you into uh, a direction that we wish for you to go. The scripture should instead be encouraging us to live a life in the kingdom of God as citizens of the kingdom of God would live and what we discover is that as much as we try to give to that and as much as we try to be obedient to that God's response is to lavish that love on us more and more and more to to boundaries that we can't contain and sometimes in our lives when we feel like that's lacking 
when we're not experiencing all that God has to offer for us, I wonder if it's because we're not really serving and living and loving as he would have for us to live. Now, don't mistake me, because you, if you've been here a long time, you know I, I don't believe this. That doesn't mean there won't be trouble, right? It doesn't mean there won't be hard spots. It doesn't mean there won't be heartbreak. I mean, devastating personal circumstances. But it does mean that even in those when we are faithful to be his children and to live as such, that in those moments when, we, when the circumstances of life have left us poor, barren, destitute, God's presence and love and care for us comes into those circumstances. It doesn't mean he's going to wipe that hard circumstance off of our, off of our plate and remove us from it. But he's going to be with us in the midst of that. So here we are, 1 Peter chapter 4. The end of all things is at hand, therefore. Christ has done all of this work for us. He's provided salvation for us. He's welcomed us into his family as children of God. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, and whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right, so he gives us an admonition here. In response to what God has given to us, be self-controlled and sober-minded. The, I think it's Ephesians, help me if I'm wrong, um, gifts of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. Say it? Galatians, thank you. Um, Self-control is one of those fruits. Uh, being sober-minded, um, the, the, the implication here is not that you need to be, uh, it doesn't mean don't have fun, right? It doesn't mean be, be a, a wet blanket. It just means to not be driven by your passions to places where you can put yourself outside of the will of God. Don't, uh, don't entertain thinking that is in contradiction to who you've understood God to be and who he's revealed himself to be. And he says this is for a specific reason. Because when we uh, give attention to our our passions and they're uncontrolled, when we think about life and, and have, a, have a thought life that isn't uh, uh, righteous before God, those things lead us to places of sin. And when we find ourselves in places of sin, the next thing he says is, be self-controlled, be sober-minded, so that your prayers can be effective. Because guys, when we find ourselves in places of sin, Isaiah 59.2 tells us that that sin separates us from God and then he can't hear us. And that has to be restored. 
So it's not so much here that, uh, because I, once, once you're saved, I believe that God is covering all of your sins, right? Your sins are forgiven. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a package deal. But if we're busy doing things that aren't pleasing to God, if we're not being disciplined and obedient to the life that God wants us to live, then we're probably not actually paying much attention to our prayers either. So make an attempt. This is, this is that grace is not opposed to your effort. This is work you and I can do, and we're expected to do. Be self-controlled, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Because you want your prayers to be heard. And then in so doing, he says, above all. I think, man, get that. Um, if you take nothing else from here today, above all. Keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins. So there's the, there's the first one. In the context of being self-controlled, sober-minded, so that God is engaged in fruitful conversation with us and we are involved in fruitful conversation with God. That's prayer. He says, then do these things. Above all, love one another earnestly. What did Jesus say? By this one thing, right? By this one thing, people will know that you're my disciples. Your political affiliation. Nope, nope. Sorry, that wasn't it. Um, uh, your church affiliation, your denomination, um, the color of your skin, uh, the language you use, the language you speak, clothes you wear, how good you are, how smart you are. None of those things. By this one thing shall men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Just, well, there's, it's kind of hard to narrow it down to just one. There's really two. They're like cousins to each other. But if I had to pick one... It's love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. I mean, that's like, right? He said, but the other one, man, it's so close. It's like, they're like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so, man, Peter gets it. I love this because what we're seeing here is a reflection of Peter having learned from Jesus, and now he's teaching what Jesus taught him. And he says, listen, I heard Jesus say this. Above all, love one another earnestly. And then he gives a reason why. And man, this is beautiful. Because love covers a multitude of sins. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, if you'll genuinely love each other, look, you're going you're gonna to mess it up, right? You're going you're gonna to hurt my feelings. I'm going to hurt your feelings. I'm going to do, maybe it's more, I'm going to do something that's really not good. And it's going to wound you. But if you love me and if I love you and you've done something to me, guess what? I can forgive you. It might not be easy. It might not be the first thing I want to do. It might not be my immediate reaction. But if I love you, 
I've received great love and forgiveness. Haven't you? Above all, love one another. So that's the first one. Second one, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I love that qualifier there. (laughs) Darn it. Hospitality often gets associated with the food, which I'm okay with, but it is incomplete. (laughs) Hospitality, and, and some people have this gift, but this is not talking about the gift, right? So everybody's called to love. Everybody's called to to show hospitality. Um, Hospitality, the people who are gifted with hospitality are amazing people, and they often don't see themselves as amazing. Uh, I remember a couple years ago we were doing a spiritual gifts class, and someone had discovered their gift of hospitality. And I I looked over. I didn't know it yet, but I looked over, and they were just sitting at their table, and there were just tears running down their cheek. I I said, what's wrong? I said, my gift is hospitality. And... I don't like cooking. <laughs> and I said, I said, it's not about that. I said, and I've seen that in you. I said, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, you have this ability to come into multiple circumstances that are completely unrelated. So it's like situation, circumstance, uh, job A, job B, job C. They're just all these different scenarios. You come in and you just you find a way to just be helpful. And you don't necessarily have skills in every one of these things that you're doing, but your skill is you come in and you just kind of, you get everybody together. They start working together and they start moving together and, and they sort of rally around you. That's incredible to be able to do that. Really the gift of hospitality and then our work of hospitality is to make those who are guests in our presence feel welcome. To know that they're valued. And this can happen in your home. It can happen just out there in life. It can happen certainly in the context of the church when folks come to visit and things like that. But it should be part of our lives. So just as we love earnestly above all, we attempt, we strive to to let people know that we care about them, that that in any circumstance we encounter, we try to make them feel welcome, that they matter, that they, they have value. without grumbling. I won't flesh that one out for you. Um, (laughs) I think in today's world, this is hard. Because we're, we're just so set up these days to be grouchy with each other over all kinds of things, right? There's, we have, we have a lot of things that seems these days that divide us. And a lot of people feel like there's, there aren't many things that unite us. And it gives rise to all kinds of bad behavior. Uh, try not to fall victim to that. Um, on Twitter this week, I, I love it when stuff like this happens. Kind of like, the, kinda like the, the pay it forward kind of thing. Or like you go to, you go to McDonald's and, and buy the meal of the car behind you kind of thing. Although you've seen that little story, right, where the guy's like, getting in line and the person's been mean to him and so he gets up to the window and he says uh, he says hey that uh, person back there is buying my food <laughs> no that's great <laughs> they get stuck with both bills that's not what we're talking about see that's the opposite of what we're talking about 
We're talking about good things. But this, uh, this thing happened uh, on social media this week. And social media, you know, is, it can be used for good or evil. I mean, it, it can be go either way. And so this idea of just being kind to one another, this, this gentleman had gone into a store in Massachusetts, and he's some sort of a activist thinking kind of guy. And in Massachusetts, there's on the books a law, as there are in many places, that if a retailer marks something for a price, and the price is wrong, but the retailer's messed it up, they have to sell it to you for that price. Now, they can go and change the price after, but if, if you encounter it and you want to buy it at that price, they're required by law to sell it to you at that price. That's so they can't bait and switch you, right? Like drag you in based on something that's fake, a fake sale price, and then say, oh, no, it's not actually on sale. We forgot to take the sign down or whatever, that kind of business. However, the, the gentleman in question completely mistranslated this scenario. So let me, let me paint the picture for you. Uh, you know, you're like at, well, it's at Target. This was actually at a Target in Massachusetts. You're at Target, and you want to buy a, a motorized toothbrush, right? So he goes to the motorized toothbrush section, and there's a motorized toothbrush standing there that costs probably a hundred-some-plus dollars. And then there's a little sign in the very back of this section that has a big red one cent on it. And it says on there, display. And if you're in retail, or if you've ever worked retail, you know that when you're doing your annual inventory of the stuff you own, because you have to pay taxes on that or you do depreciation, so like the fixtures that are in stores, the shelves, those have value, and for tax purposes, you have to keep track of that value. And if you want to write off the value, because over time things fall into disrepair and, and you get to write some of that off, you have to have a way to track that. So if you go into most retail stores and poke around deep enough, you'll find that there's a barcode on all of those display pieces that'll usually say one cent because you can't put zero in the computer. And it has a barcode, and they can scan that and track all of where those fixtures are and how many they have left and all that stuff. Well, that's what happened. This little plastic sign, right? You've seen them. The plastic sign that you put a little card in to tell what the price is says one cent display. Well, he convinced himself that this meant the, the toothbrush was one cent. And so he argued with this poor girl at Target. And the man, she's the manager, and she wouldn't sell it to him, right? Because... That's not what the sign means. It doesn't even say toothbrush. It says display. It's clear. So he's got like this huge Twitter following, 200,000 some people. So he posts her picture, and she's got kind of this face on. And he's like, uh, this manager, Tori at Target, wouldn't sell this to me for a penny, even though, and he puts the, the statute up there, the law. And he says, I had to call, I had to call the police. And so this whole thing unfolds. And immediately people are like, dude, take this down. Like, I'll send you a toothbrush. Just take down her picture. She's just, she's just a little manager person at Target somewhere. This, this is crazy. And so it wasn't going in his favor to begin with. But another guy jumped on there who also had 200, 300,000 contacts. And he said, you know, this is not cool to do this to somebody. This isn't nice. So I'm going to start a GoFundMe account. And I'm going to try and find this girl, and let's send her on vacation because she's just had a bad day. 
right? So he sets up the Twitter, he sets up the GoFundMe account for $5,000 and, and he continues, and he's a well-known person. So he starts, he keeps reporting that. He says, I'm trying to find this person. So he calls every target in Massachusetts looking for this manager and he finds her. Her name's Tori. And so now there's a hashtag on Twitter called Target Tori. And uh, Target has allowed her now to post a picture that says, hi, I'm, I'm Tori and I work at this Target and blah, 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 you know? And he's connected her now to the GoFundMe. He set a goal of $5,000 to send Tori on vacation, which is awesome. It's $30,000 now. I love that. That's kindness in action. And it gives me hope because so many people responded to that in a way that was kind. So many people responded in a way to defend this fellow human being. And, and sometimes it's hard to see that because the world is just so filled with, with venom and angst and anger and anxiety. And so here Peter's telling us, above all, love one another. And guys, be kind to each other. And don't grumble about it. Just be nice. Be kind. Be welcoming. Show people they have value. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I mentioned spiritual gifts earlier, the gift of hospitality. That is not what this is talking about. The gift here is salvation. That's why he says, as each, as each has received a gift, we've all received the same gift if we're believers. That's the gift of salvation. So as we've received that gift, use that gift of salvation to serve one another by loving one another above everything else, by being hospitable to one another, making each other feel welcome and valued and being kind as good stewards of God's varied grace. And that word varied there, I wish they'd, the first definition of that in the Greek, I wish they'd used it because the first definition of the word in the Greek there is colorful. I think, man, that works better for me as good stewards of God's colorful grace. Think about a color wheel or a color palette. All those millions and millions and millions of colors. I mean, it's practically infinite how many colors there are because you, you change the shade by just a, a fraction and you've created a new, a new shade, a new color. And then you mix them and blend them together. That's the picture of God's grace. It's just, it's incomprehensible. It's beautiful. It, it, it covers everything we could possibly think of, every circumstance we could imagine. And he says that we should serve one another in that way, colorfully. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. The word oracles, that's not something we use in common language very much today, but I love its meaning too. It's just a breath, just a, a brief truth of God. That, And again, this is not talking about only like if you're the speaker, this is your responsibility. If you're the serving person, this is your, your responsibility. If any time you and I as a believer, those who have received this gift, those who are called to love above everything else, those who are, called, who are called to be hospitable and kind to one another with happiness, those who are called to use this gift as colorfully as, as God's grace is to us, every time we speak, we speak as if we're speaking the mysteries and the beauty of God. 
which which is hard to it's hard to expound on. It's like uh, it's great, it's awesome, but those truths, and then to serve. To serve by the strength that God supplies. And here's why he calls us to do these things. So, love above all, be hospitable, speak, and serve. All of these things we do in order that in everything we do, God may be glorified. Through Jesus Christ, meaning the work of Jesus Christ in us. That the work of Jesus Christ, his life, his salvation, his, his teaching, his crucifixion, his resurrection, that none of it would be wasted, but that living it out in our lives would bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ and give honor to God. He says, because if we're truthful about it, he is the one who is worthy. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Ask the worship team to come back and join me for this last song, which ties in with this really, really beautifully and was not planned by me. It was planned by God. Because when I picked the songs, I hadn't figured out the message. But here we are. So I pray this morning that those words of scripture, those ideas that I've discussed with you will just kind of permeate your thinking as you go forth today into your life that you're living and that God has given you and that you will, that I will be one who does those four things, that I want to be those four things. I want to love above all else. I want to make those around me know that they have value and be welcomed. I want to speak as if I'm speaking the truth of God and handle it as such. And I want to serve with the strength of God. And I want to do all of that so that he will be glorified and that my actions will sing the words of this song that we're going to sing together now. So I'll invite you to stand with us if you'd like as we sing this final song together, and uh, then we'll wrap up here in just a second.